0: Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the Word together. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry and uh, if you're coming again with us this evening, I'll say the same thing to you, but you can't say it too many times, can you, on, on, on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve. Yeah, uh, so glad to be back with you. Uh, we're grateful to have a, a couple uh, Sundays off to relax and rest, uh, but so grateful to be back with you for, to celebrate the, the birth of our Savior. Um, you know, f- a few years ago, my daughter wanted this really popular doll for Christmas. Like I wanna say it was, uh, I think it was Moana. Remember Moana, anybody remember Moana? She loved the movie. Disney obviously released the doll. My daughter had to have it. She wanted it so bad that she said, Dad, if I get nothing else for Christmas, all I want is the Moana doll. And I remember Allie and I, well, mostly Allie, (laughs) searched high and low for this doll. And I remember at being shocked at how much this doll cost. <laughs> but if our sweet daughter wanted this doll for Christmas, wow, well, well, we had to get it for her. And she played with that doll all day Christmas day. Brought it with her as we went down to Windsor to visit family, played with it all week. She loved the doll. Several months later, Early spring, I'm gazing out my back window, sipping on my hot cup of coffee. I notice, man, the snow's starting to melt. It's, it's April. I'm noticing the snow creating mud and grass outside. And, and what do I see sitting in the middle of the yard in the midst of the grass and the mud and the snow? Was this doll that my daughter, just three months later, had to have. There's so much hype around Christmas, isn't there? So much hype to to get the perfect gift, to, to be filled with so much joy, hype to create so many memories, but so often, you know what I find? I find Christmas, it doesn't live up to the hype. Sometimes we get caught up in the hype, don't we? And and the world around us, it it does everything it can to to get us caught up in the hype, right? The commercials and the movies and the, the music and the shopping and the deals. But the hype, sometimes, sometimes the hype, the hype isn't enough. Sometimes we need so much more than just hype, don't we? Sometimes we got to be asking ourselves, shouldn't there be so much more to Christmas than, than this? You know, sometimes the hype, it, it isn't enough. The hype, it, it isn't enough for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one this season. The hype, it, it isn't enough for single parents and Other parents who are struggling to make ends meet and and they can't seem to buy that special gift that their precious son or daughter want and and the, the pressure is crushing to them. Sometimes the hype isn't enough when we look at everything that's going on in the world. Sometimes we need more than hype. We need hope. I want to help us focus this morning not on the hype of Christmas, the hope of Christmas. Don't get caught up in the hype. We, we get enough of that from the world. But my prayer is this morning, oh, that we would see the true hope, the, the one true hope of Christmas. I find that hope in, in John chapter 1 this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. John chapter 1. The hope of Christmas. And I'm going to focus this morning on, on one verse, uh, verse 14. But I'm going to just read uh, all of the verses leading up to verse 14 for us. And, and uh, if you're able this morning, uh, I'd invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we do every week this, at BBC. John chapter 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it reads like this, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. in truth this is the lord's word to us this morning you may be seated how is it that we can find hope not hype this christmas verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You often hear in movies and media the hype of of Christmas miracles, but do you ever wonder where they got that idea that there should be Christmas miracles? Why should miracles happen on Christmas? Well, it's because arguably the greatest miracle to have ever occurred happened on Christmas. God became man. God became flesh. He became human. God came to this world, born from a virgin, and took on human flesh. John puts it this way very simply, he says, The word became flesh. That's the hope of Christmas. On Christmas, we we celebrate, we we remember the miracle of God becoming man. The the incarnation, as theologians call it. And it is in this miracle that we find the true hope and meaning of Christmas. We find hope in the miracle of God becoming man. The, The word became flesh God became human. Just pause and think about that for a moment. See, John's gospel is a bit different than the other gospel records. In fact, when you think of the Christmas story, I doubt that the gospel of John is the first gospel that you turn to. Right? Usually you turn to something like Matthew or Luke and you'd want to read through the Christmas account. And some of us, well, maybe we think, well, John just kind of skipped over the Christmas story altogether. There's no talk of Mary or or Joseph. No mention of angels or shepherds or animals or a manger. John sums up the Christmas message, the Christmas story saying, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. For, For a moment in history, God came to his creation and he lived among us you don't really get the impact of that statement. The word became flesh. Unless you step back just a a few verses to verse one of this chapter. Look there with me. He says this. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now just stop there. In the beginning was the word. Here's what becomes clear. That John indeed has a Christmas story to tell. The difference is that John's Christmas story goes way farther back than just the manger. The Christmas story didn't start with the manger, John is saying to us. It starts out in the beginning. Where, we, where have we heard those words before? In the beginning. Where we heard those words? In, in Genesis, I hope you recall that. In fact, in the original language, this, this phrase, in the beginning, it's structured in a way that it points us back to the book of Genesis. In fact, that word for beginning, it's, it's origin or source. And in the beginning, in that beginning, the beginning when there was nothing in existence, When there was no world, no universe, no stars, no moon, no earth, no sun, there was the word. And what John wants us to realize as he opens his gospel is that the Christmas story goes back way farther than just the manger, farther than the angels, but the Christmas story finds its origins in eternity past. Before there was anything in existence, there was the word. Why the word? I mean, it's clear the the word there is in reference to Jesus, but but why that title? Why does he call him the word? Why didn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Or why not even the son of God? I mean, surely we'd, we'd grasp it so much easier if he just said that. If you know anything about John's gospel, John's gospel is an evangelistic gospel. That is, John wrote this so that people who don't believe would come to believe. He wrote this gospel so that unbelievers would read and see who Jesus is and they would believe. So he uses this title, the word, on purpose. Because the Greeks, they would read this. The Gentiles and they would see that, that Greek word for word, Logos, and the Gentiles would recognize that title, Logos. They would read it, in the beginning was Logos. And Logos, to the Greek philosophers, was this impersonal creative force in the universe, this force behind universal order of creation. It was, it was known as the, the very source of eternal wisdom. So in essence, what John is communicating to these Gentile unbelievers, he's saying, you believe that there's this impersonal force behind the order of creation. You believe there's this eternal source in the universe. I'm telling you, that's Jesus. I'm telling you that he isn't impersonal. He's very personal. And he's not just the source of wisdom. He's the giver of wisdom. The Jews would read it, who were unconvinced that Jesus was the Messiah, they'd, they'd hear that word logos, and in their minds, they would go back to where they hear the word, the, the written word. Like if I were to tell you Christians to go home and read the word, what would I be talking about? I'd be talking about the Bible. Go read the Bible. And, and very similar, uh, the Jews, when they would hear that, they would think they would think of the word. And so what John is saying to these unbelieving Jews is, you believe that God has revealed himself to us through his written word, but I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is the living word. God has revealed himself to humanity in a more powerful way through his living word, his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, John wants us to know, is is the very source of all creative power and order in the universe. The very source of all wisdom. Jesus is the revealed living word of God. The one who has come to reveal God to his creation. And, And this truth, this reality, it started long before the manger. But this word was in the beginning before time began. Chew on that for a moment. But not for too long because John doesn't stop there. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. If our minds weren't cramped enough trying to piece together this paradox, this this word wasn't just in the beginning by himself. He existed in eternity past with God, but he's also God. (laughs) Stay with me now because you start to see why we believe in in God as the Trinity because of what the Bible tells us. John is saying that Jesus existed before the manger in eternity past. He exists as a a separate being from God, but he is one with God. He is God. The word, Jesus Christ, is God. God. See, so now we begin to understand the word becoming flesh. I mean, it becomes infinitely more significant as we get to verse 14, doesn't it? The word became flesh, the word, the the eternal creative force uh, and order, the very source of all wisdom, the revealed living word of God. God from all eternity became flesh. He took on human form. Amazing that this little baby in the manger, that is God. Paul puts it in words that we can understand a bit clearer in Colossians 1. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. For in him, he says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And if that baby is God, that means as he lays in that manger, he's surrounded by beings and animals that he created. I mean, look at what else John says to us about this word in verse three and four here. He says, All things were made through him. All things. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. All things were made through him. All life in this world finds its source and reason and purpose of existence in Christ. That baby. Laying in the manger, everything that surrounds him in his creation, it owes their existence to him and finds their very reason for existence in him. <laughs> we begin to understand what the writer of the carols were trying to get at when they were trying to put this into words, right? The writer of the carol that says, Christ by heavens, the highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. He says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God came and lived among his creation. That's that's the miracle of Christmas. That's where you find hope this Christmas. God became man, but for what purpose? What was a purpose? And that's where John goes next, isn't it? God God didn't just become human to observe, but he came here and dwelled among us. You see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, that's the hope of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The hope of Christmas is this. That at Christmas we can experience the very presence of God. No, not presence. Presence. The very presence of God here living among us. He dwelt among us. That word dwelt, it's, it's so in, in, important. It, it comes from the Greek word that, that literally means to pitch a tent. Or to, to come and live in a tent. It tells us that God didn't just come here to observe. He he came and he lived and he made his home amongst us. It's meant to be personal. It's meant to be intimate. It's as if John is saying that God became man and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved in right next door. His presence, it it came and and lived with us. You know, one of the views that some people have of God, they say, well, if there is a God, if there is a God, well, he's just just the one who kind of created the world and set things in motion and took his hands off the wheel. It's kind of as if God just created the world and just let things go, and he's kind of just sitting back watching and being entertained. They don't see God as one who is intimately involved in our lives, one who cares about what we are going through. And That's drastically different than the image that John is painting for us here. Drastically different than the image of the, the rest of scripture painting for us. God cares about this world. He cares about our everyday battles. God wants us to know him. He wants us to live in relationship with him so much so that he came to the world that he created and he lived amongst us as one of us. That's where we find hope this Christmas. Yeah, I remember when I worked in retail, I often found there were two kinds of managers. Maybe, you, maybe you've had these kind of managers in, in your workplace. There were the managers that would come in to work, greet you, they, they'd give you your orders for the day And then they'd head off into their office and hide there for the rest of the day and only come out onto the floor if they were needed. Anyone have a boss like that? That's okay, you don't have to tell us, it's okay. But then there were managers who would come in. They'd give the direction. Indeed, they would go to the office. They would do the work that the manager, the supervisor needed to do. But then then they would come out on the floor They would check on your progress. They they would see if you needed help. Managers who would help stock the shelves with you. Managers that would get on the cash if it was lined up out the door and take a few customers. Managers who would fill in the gaps, work shoulder to shoulder with, with those who work under him. And you know what I found? I found that those were the most effective managers. Those were the most respected managers, the ones who didn't just know their workers, but they understood their workers because they had been in the trenches with them. See, that's the image that John is giving us of Jesus here. This is the image that we're meant to have of Jesus coming and living among us. He took on human flesh, moved into the neighborhood, lived among us so that we would know him in a more intimate way, that we would ex- that he would experience for himself the, the, the weakness that, that we experience, the, the challenges of, of hunger and pain and sorrow and weariness. He would know what it was like to, to face temptation and overcome it. He, like Paul, tells us in Philippians that he did not count equality with God as something to be taken advantage of, but he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is fully and truly God, and we celebrate that. But Jesus is fully and truly human as well. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews was getting at when he wrote. He says that we do not have a a high priest, that is Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The hope, the hope of Christmas is that the God of this creation became like us, lived amongst us. And so when we go to him and cry out to him because we're in pain and sorrow or suffering, when we go to him and cry out to him because of the overwhelming temptation that we are facing or because of our heartache or our loss, he knows what we're going through because he experienced it himself. He experienced pain, he knew what it was to mourn, he experienced temptation, sorrow, rejection, betrayal. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. And the confidence that we have is that he overcame it. He was not overcome by it. He overcame it on our behalf. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're fed up with the hype of Christmas. Maybe this Christmas you need something more than just hype. Maybe your heart is longing for something. Maybe you're longing for hope. And my friend, this is the true hope, the only hope of Christmas that doesn't die out on December 26th. The miracle that that God became man, that he came and lived among us, that he came so that we might know him. We find hope in this, that, that you can know God through Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus did when he came here is he revealed the glory of God to us. The hope of Christmas is that in Christ, the glory of God is revealed to us. He he revealed God to us so that we can know God. You can know him. You can have a a relationship with him. That's what John is telling us. We, We go back to this verse again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. We've seen the glory of God and that statement is filled with all kinds of theological explanations and truth but at the very basic level what John is saying to us is that when Jesus came to this world he revealed to us what God is like. He revealed to us the character, the nature, the power of God. God reveals himself to this world through his son. In Jesus, uh, we see God's power on display as we, we see Jesus make make commands and the very forces of nature, the wind and the waves obey him, the fish and the trees obey him. We see his power. We see the power of God as Jesus casts out demons and they flee in fear of him. He heals the sick with just a word. We see the glory of God's power on display in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the glory of God in the way that Jesus loves. We see it as He shows compassion to the outcasts of society, as He heals a woman and others who are suffering all their life. He forgives sin, He restores life, He welcomes children. We see the justice of God as Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He speaks up for the oppressed. He calls people to repentance and pronounces judgment on those who refuse to believe. But here's the greatest display of the glory of God is what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. The great hope of Christmas, the great hope of Christmas is not just that baby laying in the manger, but it's what that baby came to do. He came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, on the cross, we see the glory of God on full display, on clear display. On the cross, we we see the justice of God that demands that sin must be punished, that sin must be atoned for. But on the cross, we, we see the glory of God's love and that God is the one who provides the payment for our sins. Jesus took on the punishment that our certain sin deserved. He atoned for our sin. He made forgiveness possible. On the cross, we see the glory of God's power on display in that he alone has the power to save. And he alone can save those who will call on his name and believe in his son. We see this promise in verse 12 of John chapter one. Look there, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, what a promise. You know, this world will tell you that, that everyone is a child of God, but that's just not true according to God's word. The reality is, is that, Being called a child of God is a privilege that is granted by faith. The reality is that some will look at the life of Jesus, they'll see the glory that is displayed, but they'll reject it. They'll suppress the truth. They'll turn their back on it but to those who who see the glory of God on display in Jesus Christ, to those who will look on him and believe in him and receive him, you are granted the right to become a child of God. It's the greatest Christmas gift that you could receive, becoming a child of the one true God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, this is the hope of Christmas. I, I pray that you don't settle for the hype. The hope of Christmas is that God of all creation came to this world, that he lived among us, that he came to reveal himself to us through his son. And the hope of Christmas is this, that Jesus Christ is filled with grace and truth. Jesus Christ came filled with grace and truth. We, we go back to our verse one more time. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Think about that, that balance for a moment. The balance of grace and truth. I mean that's a, that's a delicate balance to hold isn't it? Grace and truth, to know when and how it is appropriate to show grace, but also knowing when it is appropriate to stand for truth. It's this delicate balance that we see Jesus showing throughout his life. I mean, think of, for instance, uh, Jesus' conversation with the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And, and we indeed see the grace on display that he stops and he speaks to this woman gently. And, and when the rest of the culture had cast her aside, we, we see grace in that in the Jewish rabbis didn't stop and, and talk to, to women of her reputation. And yet Jesus stops and talks to this woman we see grace and that Jesus reveals himself to her as the Messiah we see grace but we also see truth when Jesus says to her you have had five husbands and the one you are living with right now is not your husband we see grace and truth with this woman who's caught in adultery. When, when everyone around her wanted to stone her, Jesus asked them to think about their own lives. And, and he says, if the first one that doesn't have any sin, you can cast the first stone, grace. Because Jesus is the only one that can judge her. And he chooses not to. But he also shares truth when he looks at her and says, now go and sin no more. We see this with Peter. He shares truth with Peter. He says, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, Satan is gonna sift you like wheat. That is true. But here's grace. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Grace is that after Peter fails him, he embraces him back as one of his own. Full of grace, full of truth, right? Jesus was filled with grace, no doubt. He embraced the, those the culture rejected. He loved those whom others hated. He showed grace. He forgave sin. He restored life. Oh, but he would not hesitate to speak truth, to call us, to repent us, to, to remind us that following him meant turning our back on sin. He revealed truth that our, uh, of sin and unrighteousness, the truth of moral failings, the danger of judgment because, of sin, truth, grace, and truth. And I found this delicate balance, right? This is the balance that Christ has called all of us to. It's the balance we need in all of our relationships. I mean, think about marriage, for instance. I mean, picture where a marriage where no grace is shown. Where it's just truth, 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 truth. What happens, it just becomes a a marriage of nagging and complaining that turns into bitterness and resentment towards each other. And yet if the marriage is all grace and no truth, then you're just left being a doormat. You gotta find this balance of knowing when to speak truth and, and when to show grace. It's this balance we need in raising kids. If all you're doing is commanding truth, eventually you turn into the parents on Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. But if all you show is grace, then you end up with spoiled kids that don't know how to live in this world. It's the balance we need to find. In our relationships, knowing when it's the right time to show grace and knowing when it's the right time to share truth. Isn't this the balance we need to find when dealing with this world that we live in? When dealing with the culture around us, this, this balance of, of grace and truth. Imagine if all we did was preach, preach truth to the world that we live in and, and, there was, and there's many Christians who do that and do that well. We're really good at pointing out all the failures of society, the moral degradation, all the things that are going wrong. If all we did was talk about truth, who are we going to reach with just that? We need to learn to show grace because God's word tells us that this world is lost. This world is blind and broken and it has no idea that it is. So so I don't expect the world that we live in to share the same convictions that I do because this world that we live in is ruled by a different God and serves a different kingdom. And if all you do is stand for truth and there's no hope of reaching that and yet if all we do is extend grace in this world, we'll never know the, the truth of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Here's truth. The truth is that that mankind is is hopelessly lost in our sin. The truth is that that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Truth is, is that because of our sin, we stand in condemnation before God. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. But here's Grace. That's truth. Here's grace. Here's grace. Grace is that God has provided a way back to him. Grace is that one day this child in the manger will grow and call all mankind to put their hope and trust in him as he goes to the cross and he lays his life down and pays the penalty for our sin Grace as he is the perfect substitute without sin, and yet he takes on ours and gives us his righteousness. Grace as he triumphs over the grave in his resurrection and says, because I live, you can live also. He was full of grace, full of truth. Listen, I I don't know where you're at in your life this morning. You know what? Maybe you're here and... The hype is enough for you. Maybe, maybe all you need from from Christmas is the gifts and the presents and some time off work and a good feast with your family and friends. Maybe it's good enough just to come out to church at Christmas, sing a few songs, hear a Christmas message. Maybe, maybe the hype is enough for you. And if that's if that's it, that's that's okay. And yet, maybe this Christmas something within you is saying the hype isn't enough the hype just won't do I need something more I need more substance and meaning to this time that we celebrate and that is what is offered in the true celebration of Christmas the hope that Christ brings don't settle for the hype When the hope that Jesus Christ offers is infinitely greater than anything this world could offer this time or all year round. The hope of Christmas is this, is that God so loved this world that he gave us his only son in Christ, God came here and lived amongst his own creation. He came to reveal the way to know God and to live for God. He came and paved the way to, by going to the cross, dying for our sin, resurrecting victoriously over sin and death. The hope, the hope of Christmas is that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That all who receive him, all who believe in him, will be given the right to be called children of God. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the hope of Christmas. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at brandley.org.